you should believe the proclamation of Jesus' personally chosen official witnesses and legal representatives. He wants you to see who he is from the report of those he's chosen to be his witnesses. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part four of The Apostles' Proclamation. Have you ever considered the validity of the Apostles' eyewitness testimony? Think about all that they witnessed, the life, teachings, and miracles of Jesus Christ, as well as His death and resurrection. Well, the Apostle John wrote his first letter to affirm the validity of not only his own witness, but that of the other apostles as well. And as you'll discover today, their testimony is irrefutable, so reliable that it meets the standard of witness testimony in a United States court of law, but more importantly, God's own perfect and supreme standard. This is reliable and trustworthy good news as testified to by multiple eyewitnesses, proven and sure. Open your Bible. Let's discover more from God's Word on The Word Unleashed. John is writing this letter at the end of the first century, and the false teachers that he's addressing, that he's trying to help his, the, the true believers in these churches navigate, those false teachers attacking the churches in Asia Minor, the churches that John loved, they had never heard, seen, or touched Jesus. They weren't eyewitnesses. They lived hundreds of miles from Israel, and they were more than 60 years removed from the time Jesus walked the earth. Can you imagine the chutzpah to say to the people in those churches, yeah, yeah, I know, I know John was there, but listen, here's what really happened. Here's what Jesus was really like. Let me tell you, that didn't stop in the first century. That continues today. They completely ignored the testimony of firsthand eyewitnesses, and they came up with their own theory. That happens every day in our world. Many of the experts today will claim to know more about Jesus than the eyewitnesses who report their testimony in the New Testament. The apostles were firsthand eyewitnesses of the events in the life of Jesus, but they were more. Thirdly, they were official witnesses. They were official witnesses. Go back to 1 John and look at verse two again. He says, we have seen and testify. Now, the Greek word testify here means, according to the leading Greek lexicon, to confirm or attest something on the basis of personal knowledge or belief, to bear witness, to be, a, to be a witness, to offer testimony. Now, in the New Testament, this word can be used of someone who accidentally witnesses an event. It's used that way, for example, in Acts 26.5. We use the word like this when we talk about those who testify in court. Usually, they weren't picked to be a witness of the event. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. They saw the crime unfold. They saw what happened, and they witness. They give witness to what they saw. It was an accident that they ended up being a witness. But like our English word, the Greek word testify can also refer to those who are chosen to be official witnesses. 
For example, in John 1, verse 7, we learn that John the Baptist was sent to be a witness. He was picked for that purpose. And we understand this. I mean, if you have to sign legal documents, often those legal documents require that there be witnesses that it is in fact you signing those documents, either disinterested parties or a notary public, but somebody has to officially witness and say, this document was signed by this person as is claimed. The reason that the apostles, don't miss this, the reason that the apostles were firsthand eyewitnesses of all that happened in the life of Jesus was not by accident. It wasn't just they happened to be there. Jesus chose them for that purpose. The apostles were his official hand-picked eyewitnesses. After his resurrection in Luke 24, verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. But this concept of bearing witness to Jesus takes center stage in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, just before the ascension, Jesus has gathered the disciples together and He says this to them in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. This wasn't an accident. This was, I'm assigning you this responsibility. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, this verse rightly applies to all of us, but that's not the primary point of this verse. This verse is Jesus talking to the apostles saying, I am assigning you the responsibility to be witnesses on my behalf throughout the world. And this is what they took up. Go over to chapter 2. Chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, verse 32, Peter says in his sermon, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. His second sermon in chapter 3 Verse 15, he brings this up again. The leaders of the nation put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Now, Peter in chapter 10 makes it clear that this wasn't an accident. Go to Acts 10, he's preaching to Cornelius, uh, the first Gentile converts uh, in, in terms of that that change in the history of the church here as it unfolds outside the Jewish nation. And in chapter 10, verse 38, he says this, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, watch this, verse 41, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were, what? Chosen beforehand by God, that is to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. The Apostle Paul strikes this same note in his sermons. Look at at Acts 13, verse 30. He says, he was crucified, he was, uh, verse 28, he was buried, laid in a tomb, verse 29, verse 30, God raised him from the dead, verse 31, and for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who were now his witnesses to the people. But Paul 
explicitly states this about himself in Acts 26. Look at Acts 26, verse 16. He's recounting before Agrippa the Damascus Road experience, and and he says, uh, he responded, verse 15, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Verse 16, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, that is to the resurrected Christ, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Now, why is all this important? Some people read the testimony of the apostles in the scripture. They they take this book, they take the New Testament, they read the testimony of the apostles, and they respond something like this, look, I just can't believe that. I mean, believing in Jesus, that's just like a leap of faith. But that's simply not true. Because what is happening here with the gospel is exactly how we come to believe absolutely everything that we have not witnessed personally, and that is through eyewitnesses. I mean, think about this. This is how you believe all the events of history. Why do you believe there was a a Greek civilization? Why do you believe how that ended? Why do you believe about Alexander the Great? Why do you believe about the four generals who divided his kingdom after his death? Why do you believe about the Romans? Why do you believe about World War II? Why do you believe that that men landed on the moon? Well, Well, for some of you, that may not be true. But for most of us, that's true. Why do you believe those things? Because of the testimony of eyewitnesses. That's why you, you didn't see them, you weren't there but you accept the testimony of credible eyewitnesses. The same thing is true with the events reported in the news. Why do you believe the terrible events that unfolded in Afghanistan? You weren't there. It's because you believed the eyewitness testimony that was shared with you. Why do you believe what family and friends tell you? Why do you believe that you're now an uncle or an aunt or you know that a child was born to a relative? Why do you believe that so-and-so got sick and got better? Why do you believe they have you know, a terrible disease, because you believe the report of eyewitnesses. Folks, we always believe those things that we have not seen based on the testimony of others. And our confidence in the genuineness of the events is based on our confidence in the integrity of the witnesses. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then just be honest and say, you know what, I just don't trust Jesus. I don't believe in his integrity. I don't believe in the the integrity of the witnesses he chose to to share his story. Fine, say that, but just don't say that you don't believe because I wasn't there to see it. That's just dishonest. You believe things every day that you haven't seen. The apostles were Jesus' official witnesses. Can I just plead with you to believe those witnesses recognize what this is it comes down to is Jesus credible did he select credible witnesses or not if he did then believe him submit yourself to him if he didn't then write him off just be honest a fourth reason we can trust their testimony about Jesus is that they were legal representatives look again at 1st John chapter 1 verse 2 we have seen and testify, and notice this, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Notice verse three. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. Did you notice the change in pronouns? He was manifested to us, 
and we now proclaim to you. The Greek for proclaim refers to those who speak publicly. Sometimes it refers to those who speak publicly, an official announcement made as the legal representative of someone else. Clearly, that was true of the apostles. I read a moment ago Acts chapter 10, Peter's message to Cornelius. I stopped at verse 41. Listen to verse 42. He ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as a judge of the living and the dead. We were ordered. We've been legally sent out to proclaim this message on his behalf. We're his legal representatives. That, by the way, is what the the word apostle means. By definition, an apostle is a legal representative. Do you understand that the word apostle is really just a Greek word that's been brought into English? It's not translated. There wasn't an English word apostle. There was a Greek word apostolos, and all the translators did was take each of those Greek letters and give us the English letters. And what we got was instead of apostolos, in English we got apostle. But the Greek noun apostolos means one sent out. The writers of the New Testament will occasionally use the word apostle of anyone sent out on a spiritual mission. And that can be confusing. Occasionally you'll run across this word and it's like, wait a minute, that isn't one of the 12 and it's not Paul. Are they really an apostle? No, occasionally this word can be used in its broader sense of someone who's been sent on a mission. But most often it refers to a unique group of men who occupied a special office. You see, to be an apostle in this sense, you had to be personally chosen by Christ. It was certainly true of the 12. Go back to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and look at verse 12. It was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called all of his disciples, the entire group of his disciples to him, and from that larger group, notice, he chose 12 of them whom he also named as apostles. He says, you are my sent ones. So he sovereignly chose this group. He sovereignly chose them to be his official representatives, and he gave them this name, apostles. You see the same concept in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, where we read, Christ gave orders to the apostles, the sent ones whom he had chosen. Christ also chose chose Paul to be his apostle. Galatians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, listen to this, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul says, I'm an apostle, I'm a sent one, picked by Jesus and the Father. So the apostles then were chosen and commissioned by Christ to be his direct representatives. An apostle can legally act for another. He's an authorized messenger. He's a legal representative. In our culture, the closest thing we have to this is power of attorney. You can can delegate power of attorney to someone to act as your legal representative, either for a specific situation or generally for all of your legal or financial affairs. 
This is what the apostles were. They were official proxies for Jesus because they had been his chosen witnesses of his life and teaching. In John 15, 27, he says to them, you will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And even in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. He says, I didn't come up with this message. I'm just his proxy. I'm his legal representative telling you what he said. So there's the integrity of the apostles' proclamation. They were reporting real historical events. They were firsthand eyewitnesses of those events. They were officially chosen to be witnesses, and they had been commissioned as Jesus' legal representatives, his official proxies to report his story. Now, folks, what should our response to all of that be? What should, what should we do with what we've learned this morning? Well, let me start by, by just addressing those of you here who, who know you're not followers of Jesus Christ. You just need to understand this. If you choose to reject the testimony of Jesus' official chosen representatives, you are rejecting him. If you sit there this morning and say, you know what, no, I'm not going to have that. You're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting even the apostles who wrote the New Testament. You are rejecting Jesus Christ himself. And we understand this at a very personal level. I mean, if this afternoon a, a staff member from Governor, Governor Abbott's staff showed up at your house and he had all the right credentials and all the right documents and he says, I'm here on the governor's behalf and I'm asking you to do this. If you say to him, no, no, thank you. Not interested. I don't believe it. And I don't want anything to do with it. You have not only rejected that staff member, you've rejected the governor who sent him. Well, the same thing is true with Christ. In fact, Jesus said this to those he was sending out in Luke 10, verse 16. He says, the one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Jesus said, listen, if they don't accept those I've sent, they're rejecting the ones I sent, they're rejecting me, and they're rejecting the Father who sent me. You just need to understand, if you're sitting here today and you've rejected the message of Jesus, that's what's going on. So what should your response be? You should believe the proclamation of Jesus' personally chosen official witnesses and legal representatives. You should believe it. John 13, 20, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. There's a passage that speaks so powerfully to this. Go to the end of John's gospel. John chapter 20, verse 19, this, is, this event unfolds on the evening of the day of resurrection the first day of the week when our Lord was raised. That evening, verse 19 says, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And then in verses 21 to 23, he gives them a commission to go out on his behalf. Now, fast forward, verse 24, sometime after that event, verse 24 says, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. Now, don't miss what's going on here. 
The other disciples were first-hand eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ, and they're reporting to Thomas, who wasn't there, what they saw. They're giving their testimony. They listen, we were there, we saw him, we touched him. It's really Jesus. He's, he's been raised from the dead. And what was Thomas's response? My namesake here. It's not good. But he said to them, middle of verse 25, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. In other words, I'm not going to accept your testimony. I want to be a firsthand witness. Verse 26, after eight days, so we're now the next Sunday night after the resurrection, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then, and I love this, Jesus' grace here to Thomas. He said to him, Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. And I don't know if Thomas did those things or not or if his, he just believed, but regardless, he, he didn't believe until he saw. And Thomas answered then though and said, my Lord and my God. One of the greatest confessions and, of course, the high point of the, of the Gospel of John. He says, you are my kurios, my master. I submit myself to you. That's real faith. And my God, you are deity. You are God himself. This, by the way, is the confession every person must make who wants to come to God through Jesus Christ. But don't miss verse 29. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? You've been a firsthand eyewitness, and that finally brought you to believe. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm pronouncing a spiritual blessing on those who will receive the eyewitness testimony of those I've chosen and not have to insist on seeing it themselves. Now notice the connection. Verse 30 begins with the word therefore. In light of the fact that Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who listen to the report of the apostles, therefore, John says, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He said, I could have, I could have given witness to a lot of other things, but I've written these so that you, not seeing, may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. That's the response Jesus wants from you. He wants you to see who he is from the, from the report of those he's chosen to be his witnesses. He wants you to believe in him, not having seen him, and to follow him and to say with Thomas, my Lord and my God, even though you've not witnessed him firsthand. Instead, you believed the witness he's given. You see, we couldn't all be there. The entire universe... All of the people who would ever live on earth couldn't have been in first century Israel to see firsthand. So what did Christ do? He did the next best thing. He chose eyewitnesses. And he said, believe them. They're the ones I picked. Listen to them. And if you listen to them, you're, you're receiving me. I urge you today to believe as witnesses, to repent of your sins and believe in Christ as Lord and God. For those of us who have believed in Christ, listen, John wants you to know that you can be confident of the testimony in which you have placed your hope in life and in death and eternity. It's 
It's valid testimony. It meets even the standard of testimony given in the U.S. courts and it meets the divine standard. You can be confident in the testimony in which you have placed your faith because Jesus handpicked those witnesses to tell you what happened. And you're blessed by believing even though you weren't there. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of The Apostles' Proclamation. Tom will continue with part five on our next program as he once again takes us to God's Word. Do join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Plan to join Tom Pennington this summer, June 24th and 25th at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas, as he introduces the Word Unleashed's first annual Faithful Stewards Conference Series. Faithful Stewards is designed for pastors, elders, teachers, and church leaders. But even if you aren't in one of those categories, you're welcome to attend. This year's theme is Loving Christ by Feeding His Sheep, a reflection on our Lord's challenge to the Apostle Peter as found in John chapter 21. There's no cost to attend, but registration is required. June 24th and 25th. Go to thewordunleashed.org to register. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.